The Y Curve with Phil Dobby and Roger Hearing. Another winter of war. Europe's biggest war since 1945 rumbles on, expending tens of thousands of lives and billions of dollars. Ukraine's offensive to retake its land has slowed to a crawl against Russian defences and in a few weeks it will have to cease altogether as mud and rain makes fighting impossible. So what are the prospects of their eventual success? Will the increasing scale and sophistication of Western weaponry donated to Ukraine prevail against a worn-out and divided Russian military? Or will war weariness creep into Western capitals, pushing Kyiv to negotiate with Moscow? The why? Curve. It is uh, a very dirty, long and protracted war, isn't it? And it looks like 18 it's months now. Yeah. Uh, and, we, and it's not going to, I don't think anything's going to change over the winter. What has surprised me is it's quite an old fashioned war, yeah. isn't it? You know, it's like trenches and, mm. you know, throwing bodies at it, basically, rather mm. than sophisticated machines. Well, you've, sure. got, you've got drones. It's become a drone war, and that's mm. sort of naval drones and air drones. I mean, that's that, I think, is the big development. In a way, but nothing is enough, it seems, yeah. to be a decisive blow either but way. But even with drones, you know, you think, well, drones are just people sitting in a control room a long way from the war, just, uh, you know, destroying things. But no, we are still there with trenches and people mm. and landmines, obviously. Yeah, the big well, that's thing. the big thing. These massive amounts of mines. Apparently, it's some enormous quantity more than would be normally laid under military manuals. The Russians have just absolutely, completely laced the place right. with mines. So there's, there's regulations or standards. Well, standards, standard, regulations. I mean, the Russians care tuppence about regulation. Well, they don't. Of course not. And that's but, the thing. Yeah. I mean, it's it's. It, I mean, is there such a thing as a fair war? I mean, it's no, a crazy. No. It's a crazy term, anyway. Isn't it's it? a horrible, horrible war. And it, you know, a lot of people have died, and and a lot of them civilians, and still are. But is it going anywhere? That's really the, the key yeah. thing. Now, I mean, we, we've seen a kind of stasis. Yes, the offensive has pushed in, and in theory, is getting through the first line of Russian uh, defense. But nothing's going to happen probably from the end of October onwards. Yeah. Um, so what happens, you know, in the next year, we wait for another offensive next year. What goes on? And and what happens within Russia? So, I mean, well, there was this hope, and it seems like we can forget that now, that maybe the Russian people would wake up to the fact that they are the uh, the aggressor in all of this. But uh, it, it seems like the attitude hasn't shifted a great deal, well, even, even with sort of like, you know, an, an, an attack, supposed attack, oh, yeah. a failed coup. Yeah, uh, and the and war being brought home to them with, you know, the attacks on airports and buildings mm. in Moscow. You know, they can't say it isn't on their doorstep yeah so does it step up so that they see yeah. more of it and because that is the big you know, but that has been a big fear hasn't it let's yeah. not give uh, too much in the way of long distance weaponry because we want it to be contained within the borders we don't wanna, yes we don't want western weapons being used on Russia, Russia itself but I wonder whether that will be what happens next well but the other thing that could easily happen is war weariness everyone's talking about it potentially in western capital they've been putting a lot of money the Americans putting vast amounts of money we have too mm. um, it's benefiting the uh, the defence industry no end of course um, but how much longer can we go on with it? People will say well where, where's the results? We haven't seen the, the upshot of this we haven't right. seen the success. But if you give in you are giving in. I mean, you know, you're giving in to Putin. You're giving in to an aggressor. What does he do next is the is well, the question. Yeah, but people say, well, if, if if the fighting stops, if people stop dying, isn't that enough? I, I don't know. I mean, it's, I mean it, how can we sit here and say one way or the other? Because well, what would he do Ukrainian next? Story. I mean, that's a good question to ask, isn't it? If, he, if, yeah. if we did back down, what would be his next steps? Rebuild. What, what, rebuild his forces and prepare for the next option. And what would that be? So, mm, well, a lot to talk about today. It is indeed. But we're going to speak to an expert, someone who's studied this in some depth, and that's Christoph Bluth, who's Professor of Inter- 
international relations and security at the University of Bradford. And he joins us now. So, Christoph, I mean, this Ukrainian counteroffensive, it is very slow going. We've got winter around the corner and then presumably positions are going to become entrenched. I mean, um, I mean, how much headway is Ukraine really making? Well, that's very uh, controversial, actually. Nobody knows exactly. Uh, they have regained some territory. They have um, managed to liberate some smaller towns. Um, but they obviously are dealing with the fact that the Russians have created very, very serious defenses, both in terms of minefields and, and uh, uh, physical fortifications uh, that are very, extremely difficult to overcome. And the Ukrainians also cannot establish air superiority so it's very, very difficult for them to um, uh, overcome the defenses. So they're moving very slowly and they are suffering casualties. And although they now have some tanks from the West, it's still extremely difficult for them to move forward. It's also a very, very long and broad front. Um, the question is, how long can it continue and, and how long can well, they... Can presume, they... Presumably, Christoph, we're reaching a point. I think someone said to me by the end of October, basically, it will be impossible to carry on because of weather conditions, the, the rain and the mud. Is that your understanding? Well, that's partially the case, but they will still be launching attacks. I mean, they, they will be using their drones, they'll be using missiles. And of course, the United States may be giving them longer range missiles now. I think it's an interesting phenomenon because I think the, the both the Europeans and the Americans have been holding back. Now, the British and the, France, the French have given them uh, longer range missiles, but... Um, and so the Americans have now become more comfortable with giving them longer-range missiles. That because the the Russians obviously have moved their bases and their, their fuel depots, etc., further inland in order to to prevent them from being struck. But I mean, the the reason for not giving longer-range missiles originally was because of this fear, wasn't it, that the the war would step outside Ukraine and into Russian territory. So uh, the fact that we are now saying, well, okay, yeah, let's give you slightly longer distance uh, missiles, is presumably going to make that happen. And the the reason that we didn't want that to happen was because we didn't want it to escalate any further than it has already. But have we sort of accepted that that is it, it's almost got to escalate now, or it's just it's just going to stay where it is? Several things have changed here. First of all, I think the Ukrainians have given the uh, Americans and the Europeans some faith that they're not going to use these weapons for strikes inside Russia. They are conducting some strikes inside Russia, but they're using their own weapon systems to do that. So that's one thing. The, the other thing is also, I think that the, the fear about Russian escalation has maybe diminished to some extent because the Russians haven't escalated at all. They haven't shown any, any I mean, there's a lot of talk by some people, but in practice, there's no effort to develop military strikes against NATO countries at all. And so I think in terms of the fear of escalation, it's not quite the same as it was before. I think the concern is now the opposite, which is that the Ukrainians are not getting enough to properly pursue the counteroffensive. And so in that sense, I think the attitude in America as well as in, in Europe has changed somewhat. I mean, the Germans also are supposed to provide long-range missiles. They're now thinking about how they can limit the range of the Taurus missiles a little bit to prevent uh, attacks deep inside Russia. But um, uh, generally speaking, I think uh, there, there is uh, now uh, 
uh, more confidence. They should get the F-16s now as well as soon as the training can be completed. So uh, more advanced and important military systems are becoming available for the Ukraine. The, the, F, the, the F-16s, Christoph, are absolutely crucial, aren't they? Because that you were talking earlier about the fact that they don't really have air superiority. The F-16s, the, the American warplanes, are going to be coming into effect. The training's going on, as I understand it, towards the end of the year, the beginning of next year. How much difference will that make? Well, it's mostly... Uh, and provide the ability to fend off any uh, efforts by the Russian Air Force to 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 uh, enter Ukraine, and as well as to provide some air support for operations closer to the front line. I think that's quite critical. Yeah, but is I mean, is that the best way of of stopping an air attack? I mean, we, we we've talked about drones. I mean, can't you use drone technology now to shoot down uh, enemy fighter aircraft? And not really. But what they do have, of course, is is they have the Patriot air defense missiles. Again, these are very very yeah expensive systems they're very very effective uh, especially against the aircraft they're even effective against uh, against ballistic missiles but um the fighters obviously have a, a sort of multi-role because they're both capable of attacking on the ground as well as um, if, uh, defending against incoming russian aircraft so you talk about the expense of it all if you've got a very long war does it just become a question of who's got the the deeper pockets uh, and how far can Russia go? I mean, interestingly, Russia's not spending a huge percentage of its GDP on fighting this war at the moment, is it? Well, I would I would um, deal with all these figures with it. <laughs> Take them with a pinch of salt. With caution. Uh, I think, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can't always tell what they, whether they're accurate, I guess. Yes, I mean, I think a lot of the Russian uh, industry is now focused very much on, 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 on uh, producing ammunition and other items for the, right. for the conflict. So they are, you'd say they're on a war footing. This is a country on a war footing. Uh, to a significant extent, yes. I mean, obviously, Putin is trying to minimize the effect of the war on the civilian population in Russia, because if the uh, at the moment he's still enjoying quite a bit of support, at least as far as we can tell. But if people are st starting to suffer seriously, then that could change. So he has to bear that in mind as well. But nevertheless, he's trying to focus as much as possible the industrial capacity on um, resupplying ammunition, uh, artillery shells, uh, missiles, etc. Because the usage is absolutely horrendous, if you think about it. I mean, tens of thousands of, of, of pieces of ammunition, of shells used every day. So um, the, the problem is obviously in, in Europe and, and the United States is that there is this, this ambivalence to some extent uh, of how to support and to what extent to support. And there are some people who are arguing it is, that the support is not sufficient should, and that we should push much harder to get this conflict resolved more quickly. Well, that, that's. I wanted to sort of draw back, perhaps, from the, the literally what's going on on the battlefield, but 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 in that way to talk about where the strengths and weaknesses are. Now, you, before we get on to Europe and the US, what about in Russia? You talked about how Putin has to try and avoid people suffering there. Now, we know in the last six months there've been a lot of upheavals in, in Russia. There's the whole Wagner mutiny, if that's what it was. Uh, various senior officials appearing to be demoted or disappearing. And also, of course, Ukrainian attacks inside Russia. To what extent do you think Putin is weaker now than he was six months or a year ago? And how far can he keep this war going? Well, that's a, an interesting question, which obviously we don't quite know the answer to. But yes, he is weaker, obviously, because much of the Russian elite now is against him. And... Um, 
he has to maintain the more, if you like, an authoritarian ruler has to rely on the authoritarian means of control, the weaker he actually is. I mean, this and this this is quite evident. I mean, people are being imprisoned left left and right, or some of them are being killed. And the reason for that is, is because Putin fears his own people to to a significant extent. And at some point, there is a tipping point, obviously, when 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 the support fails and the regime collapses. When that is going to happen, or if that is going to happen, is, is a bit unknown at the moment. The one thing that Russia has going for it is that it can continue to earn foreign currency by selling oil and gas. And the, the other thing is about sanctions. I mean, the sanctions are very severe and they're hitting Russia very hard, but they take a very considerable time to to work their way through the economy and they can resort to all kinds of countermeasures, import substitutions. They have a certain amount of um, support from China with civilian goods coming in and probably some military goods as well. This is going to take quite a, a, a long period of time. And the other issue, of course, they're facing is that so many young Russian people are dying that, again, at some point may generate political discontent, yeah. but hasn't so well, far. Well, Ukrainians are dying as well, of course. And so that's, you know, that raises the question as well. Does this, I mean, you can't just keep on killing people on either side. Uh, you, you're not, not only going to run out of money. And, and, and obviously on the West, perhaps that's that's not a, an immediate problem because the, the West is going to keep on pumping money into Ukraine. But they could run out of people. Well, they're not going to run out of people very quickly. But yes, it is a serious issue. Uh, the difference in Ukraine is that for, for the Ukrainians, this is a, a question of national survival. And so the, the morale, the Russians don't know why they're fighting, to be honest. Well, that's the surprising thing, isn't it? I mean, the Russian military has actually proved rather more uh, enduring, I think, than many people expected. Because, as you say, they don't have necessarily a clear idea of why they're there. They have all sorts of things going on in the background, including a, a certain amount of semi-conscription. Isn't it a surprise the Russians have managed to hang on as long as they have? No, not really in the sense that they they have, you know, the size of population is larger, they have a larger army, they have enormous amount of material compared to, to Ukraine. Uh, and, of course... But they are desperate, obviously, because they are now resorting to uh, bring, taking criminals out of prison. They are even resorting to foreign fighters taking uh, taking uh, going to take some North Koreans to fight for them, for example. Uh, so it's they are uh, experiencing enormous stresses, and you are right in the sense that it's not going to last forever. At, at some point, the breaking point is going to come. Now, for now, Putin still has been able to somehow sell the idea that it is linked to Russia's national survival, which is an absurd idea on the face of it. I mean, if you think about uh, the uh, relationship between Ukraine and, and Russia, uh, Ukraine couldn't threaten Russia. That's ridiculous. <laughs> but um, so far, he's been selling this idea, obviously, by saying it's the West that is behind all of this. But the West is not invading Russia. The West actually is a source, has been a source of consumer goods for the Russians. Um, so at some point... Uh, this kind of false image may, may may no longer be sustainable. But it's a man fighting for his own life, isn't it, really? I mean, in many ways. I remember seeing years and years ago an interview when he was Prime Minister, talking Putin, about Putin, yeah. And Putin was there saying that, really, you have to become president because it's a dangerous position to be in, to be Prime Minister, because the president might not like you. Uh, and he said, for a family man, that's a dangerous position to be in, implying that, you know, you, you and your family could get bumped off. So you have to be president. I mean, it just shows the brutality of this 
nation. So he's obviously there thinking, well, if I don't win this, I'm a dead man. So he's fighting for not for his political survival, but he's surviving. He's fighting Literal for his survival. life. Yeah, that's uh, that's true now. I mean, I, I think it, it, this wasn't quite the case when the war started. I mean, if you look at um, in more detail as, as how this war started, there are various points at which Putin was quite ambivalent how to proceed and eventually decided to go in the direction in which he went. And it wasn't necessary for him to do. I think even now, really, to be honest, he could find a way of halting the war and trying to just rely on the gains he suddenly he he now has. If 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 Putin was was going to say this is what the deal is going to be, and we're not going to destroy Ukraine, <laughs> uh, then there would be also external powers that might support that. So at the moment he's he's digging he's 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 in a hole, but he's digging more and more. Well, let's let's pick up that point because that is an interesting one. The suggestion that you made there that there would be certainly people who would be pushing for a kind of uh, armistice, let's call it. Uh, the Russians stay where they are, the Ukrainians stay where they are, and there are peace negotiations. And that idea has been around and to some extent has some support in the West, I think, um, potentially if there's a, a Trump presidency next year in the US, it might get more support. But do you see that support for that growing perhaps as a kind of war weariness takes hold? Well, the, the surprising thing is in a way that the uh, conservatives in the United States in particular, except the sort of the, the old... Um, uh, called warriors uh, are very much um, sort of on the on the on the Trumpian side of things, if you like, in in terms of re reducing support for Ukraine or not seeing Ukraine necessarily as a, a matter of vital interest for the United States. It is quite possible that if there is a uh, if there is a Republican president, that um, they're going to try and limit support for Ukraine. The difficulty at the moment is that there is no sign that, that Putin is seriously willing to negotiate. I mean, if you think about, if you think as an analogy, the end of the Second World War, I mean, we were all against uh, Stalin and uh, the occupation of Eastern Europe, but there was no military means to do anything about it. So there wasn't a peace treaty, but there was just an, an acceptance of the territorial status quo temporarily. And um, the same with the division of Germany, which was never actually accepted uh, by the West, but it had to be tolerated until it could be overcome politically. Now, there may be, on a smaller scale in Ukraine, maybe the same thing, which is that we say, okay, we don't accept the occupation of Crimea, we don't accept the uh, occupation of, of the, these parts of eastern Ukraine, which have been now sort of technically annexed by Russia, but uh, we may tolerate that um, temporarily uh, as long as the fighting stops, uh, something along those lines might be conceivable. Uh, I don't think a peace treaty, an actual peace would be more difficult because then it would acknowledge that some of the uh, areas that have been taken by force uh, somehow become legitimately Russia's uh, to to keep uh, to an axe, right? And so I'm not. But, but even if that will happen, even if it's not a peace treaty, though, I mean, the idea that you know fighting will stop now and people will just hold the territories they've got, uh, I mean, that sounds as though that would be unpalatable on both sides, wouldn't it? Well, it kind of depends on what they get in return. I mean, there is this real issue of lifting of sanctions, and I'm not sure that there's going to be lifting of sanctions if Russia persists in holding onto territory that doesn't belong to it. So it may, it may, it, there may be um, an agreement to stop fighting, 
Um, and, and the question of, of Ukraine status, is, is Ukraine going to be in NATO? Is it going to be in the EU? Those are also issues that for Russia are important. I don't think Russia will get a neutral Ukraine if Russia occupies any territory of Ukraine. So it may actually miss some of the main alleged targets of its operations if it holds onto territory. Well, the one sort of people we haven't mentioned really are the Ukrainians themselves and the government and Zelensky. I mean, they certainly on the surface say no, absolutely no territorial concessions at all. What? Do, how strong do you think Zelensky and his government are and, and the Ukrainian army? I mean, how how successful are they likely to be if they stick to that position? Well, they are obviously, I mean, Zelensky's performance as a wartime leader has been absolutely astounding. But it has to be said also, and there's a great unity. I mean, the interesting thing is that the kinds of divisions that existed in Ukrainian society prior to the conflict have virtually disappeared. I mean, they are all Ukrainians now. And uh, even those who come from Russian-speaking area, Russian-speaking areas, uh, we don't really know what's, what's going on exactly in the occupied territories, but a lot of people have been ejected from those territories. So Zelensky's position, I think, at the moment in 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 Ukraine is is very strong. Yeah, because the question is, does he does he have an end game in mind? Does he actually have a realistic end game? Well, he said mind? his thing is to get the Russians out of right, Ukraine. But is, territory. That, but is that realistic? And if, and if not, what is what is his plan B? I guess is the there must question. be a plan B, but we don't know about it. Let's put it this mm. way. I mean, because I think it's not they, an easy. Not it's not an easy one, is it? Well, I wonder whether I mean the the hope has been obviously that Plan B is that Putin is uh, is somehow loses power and. Uh, miraculously gets replaced by somebody who wants an end to this war, which we don't know is yeah. necessarily going to happen. And and with that, we sort of hoped that perhaps within Russia there'd be this realisation that perhaps they are the aggressor. And yet, you know, uh, we had Pogosin's mutiny failed. Uh, you know, he died suddenly in an accident, strangely. Mm. You know, he didn't fall out of a window, yeah. did he? He wasn't poisoned. He, you know, it was a plane mm. crash. So Putin's extending his repertoire there. Good to see. Um, but, you know, they, they're, they're, their land borders are closed. Those sanctions that we that we talked about, people will be feeling the, the effects of all of that. And yet, you know, seemingly they are still supporting Putin. And in fact, if those sanctions tighten, you could say that it might help Putin. Of course, Putin only cares about Putin. And if there's more sanctions that are hurting his people, uh, his people might feel more anti-West, which is going to improve his position, ironically. That's the case generally with sanctions. I mean, we've seen this in other, in, in other mm. cases as well. So sanctions um, are problematic. Nevertheless, I think the, the 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 there are serious risks for Putin because of the um, tightening of the economy, and, and that will continue further. I think that that the economy will will further tighten, and situation become more difficult. Partly also because those people who are, have been the wealth generators in Russian in Russia uh, largely have left the country, and so um, with the entire kind of uh, intellectual class uh, trying to to leave the country. It, it'd be very, very difficult to 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 move towards a modern economy uh, on the basis of, of of that kind of situation. So it, the economy has suffered in in very in very serious ways. So it may very well be the case that if if there is an effort to replace Putin, uh, then I think the whole power of the regime will, will collapse once again. So, Christoph, we've been, talk been kind of talking about a situation almost like a kind of log jam in a river. At some point, one of the logs will move. I mean, from what you know and what you think, and I'm, it's awful to ask people to speculate, but 
where do you see it? Do you see a sudden Russian collapse? Do you see a back off in Western support for Zelensky and perhaps uh, war weariness? What is what is the log in all this that's going to move? Is it even a Ukrainian victory? The situation in Russia obviously is very tense because the the, the more authoritarian regime becomes, the more unstable it is in principle. I mean, this stability that we see at the moment is kind of maintained with the use of force, and the use of force is becoming more and more necessary, which shows that once it's no longer effective, then the regime will collapse. But the problem is that nobody knows. I mean, some people are even speculating that the Russian Federation, which we have to understand, the Russian Federation itself is a peculiar mix of different nationalities. There are well over 80 different nationalities inside the Russian Federation. So it's not a natural state in that sense. And so it could actually break into in, in, apart into different uh, uh, sections as well. That's not the yeah. The speculation, isn't it, that that is happening? Mm-hmm. That some of the you know, leaders of some of those regions or of those, some of those people are planning something. But obviously, uh, it's pretty difficult to take on the might of Greater yeah. Russia. But, but Christoph, you reckon if whatever's going to you think the, the the break in all this you think is more likely to come in terms of a, a Russian collapse or a Russian failure or Putin's removal, that, that's where you kind of see what, what might change in all that. Uh, that's one route. The other route is that the Ukrainians make much greater breakthroughs in, in their counteroffensive eventually, and therefore the Russian position becomes much less tenable inside Ukraine. And then, obviously, they could be rethinking of uh, uh, how sustainable their position is. So there are different ways. I mean, I think the... the there are people in the United States, I mean, uh, uh, the former ambassador of, of, of the United States to Russia, McFall, Michael McFall, he has argued we should put in all our military efforts immediately, not sort of step by step by step, as it has been going on for now, and just really push the Ukrainians very, very hard to obtain a, a much greater progress and, and, in fact, move closer to at least some sort of victory in Ukraine. Well, I mean, on that, there must be some quick way of removing landmines, aren't there? There must be some technology. Uh, if, if if there are so many landmines that are laid there, then, I mean, that would be the first win, wouldn't it, to get rid of those? So you can regain some of that territory. Um, or is it not the case? It's just an old-fashioned weapon that's, that's difficult to beat. It's very, very difficult to beat. Um, it, it, it would take a lot of uh, wide area explosions to, to, to clear areas from, from landmines. But it would be the key thing is to create channels for the counteroffensive to actually move forward so that, that they can then for, uh, force the troops, to, the Russian troops to surrender or eliminate the holding positions of the Russian troops. But, but the push, that, that push that McFall is talking about, uh, would surely, I mean, that takes us back to the risk of Putin escalation, surely. And that is still a risk, even if it hasn't happened so far. If he sees that happening, maybe he does. You know, we, we talked in the past about potentially nuclear escalation. Yeah, but this is this is very risky. First of all, the Americans have told the, the Russians that if they use nuclear weapons, the war will come to them. You know, they have made it very clear that their current reticence to get involved in the war. Uh, what's interesting is that, that Biden has refrained from making nuclear threats himself. But they, I think they have told the Russians that they cannot count on American uh, Americans staying out of the war if they use nuclear weapons. And in fact, we have um, David Petraeus has threatened if the Russians use nuclear weapons, then immediately the United States should destroy the Russian armies and the Black Sea Fleet. So I think that we have to understand, of course, Putin knows exactly 
that the United States could within within half an hour of making a decision like this basically uh, destroy Russia from beginning to end. Now, of course, the capability exists the other way around. And of course, it's a terrible, terrible thing to do. But um, the, the physical capacity exists. This is the paradox. And the Russians know this. So, that, I mean, that shows mutually assured destruction, you know, That's works. the Cold War all over again. So hence, hence we are fighting a long and dirty war. But how long, at- how long do you think, Christoph? Because, I mean, we, we talked about all these things that may happen. And you clearly think the Russian element is the one likely to break, either through military, Ukrainian military success or political instability. But we've kind of been talking in these terms for a long time. What do you feel is the timescale? Do we see the spring offensive, perhaps, by the Ukrainians as being the cracking point? Or is it all going to carry on during the winter? How do you see the timing? Yeah, that's very, very tricky. I mean, we obviously see that the the, the NATO is warning that there might be quite a protracted war in talking in terms of years, which I think is problematic because the political pressures that might build up it depends, obviously, very crucially on what is going to happen in the United States presidential election. Um, so I think the, the 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 contrary argument is is that the the, the Ukrainians have to be given much more decisive military support in order to, um, as you say, accomplish something of this order to during the spring offensive. And that's not inconceivable. I mean, they may finally destroy this bridge, which will make the resupply of, of, of the Crimea more difficult. They may. This is the bridge between Russia proper and, and Crimea, isn't it? The Kerch right. bridge. Right, the Kerch bridge. And then uh, if, they, if they manage to uh, degrade the, 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 the Russian uh, the Black sea, sea Fleet, which they're doing to some extent, they've already uh, sunk a number of ships or damaged a number of, of ships then uh, it be- becomes over time less and less sustainable for the for the, for the Russians to, to continue. So if, if it does find some sort of compromise, whatever it might be, whether it is, uh, you know, just a, a, a just a, a, a period where there's there's no further fighting, uh, everyone's taking stock of their, their, their position, there's protracted negotiations going on. We know in the meantime, Donald Trump will be very happy about this. NATO will be increasing its spending. There'll be extra investment in Central Europe and in the, you know, in the Balkans. There'll be so much more money being spent in that part of Europe to uh, to ramp up armaments uh, to protect against any further incursions by Russia. Um, and you know that you know for, for military spending will just be enormous in comparison. And Russia will feel more threatened than ever before if it felt threatened before this war uh, and that that dialogue that, that you know that that uh, propaganda being pushed through russian state media that the west wants to take over russia there'll be a lot of evidence for uh, for that media to point to i don't think that's so clear because the, the russians didn't seem to be particularly perturbed about sweden and finland joining nato and the, the, one of the extraordinary sort of uh, things that we've seen is that Despite sort of this Russian fear of NATO, which is, has been been put forward, which I think is is not real. I think it's a political instrument inside Russia. To be to, to, to be honest, NATO has refrained from attacking Russia, even with such enormous provocation. That proves the opposite, in the sense of the NATO threat. NATO is doesn't want to attack Russia, but the the uh, reverse side of it is that Russia really is not capable of of fighting NATO. I mean that. They can't even fight Ukraine, never mind fight NATO. 
So that's a very perverse kind of conclusion from from what we've seen. But what is very clear is, I think, is that uh, the, the, this this idea of NATO attacking Russia, at least militarily, that's complete fiction. And I don't believe, I don't think that the Russian if the Russian military leadership really believed that they wouldn't have attacked Ukraine. They don't believe that at all. Of course, in many ways, as you're right, Putin has achieved exactly the opposite of what he wanted to achieve. Instead of weakening NATO, he has strengthened it quite yeah. immensely, especially militarily. And is the, is the way to, the, to finish it all off is to actually, I mean, this is a dreadful way to talk. I apologize yeah. for it. But is it is it to finish Putin off? I mean, America seems very good at, you know, whispering. They would never do it, of course, but whispering those words, regime change. I mean, if if Putin is not immensely popular uh, within uh, you know, yeah, those the, people the elite in power, within Russia, surely would be taking the hint that, yeah, that this and might be a way out to suggest that he might be in a particular place, standing by a window uh, or on yes. a particular plane. Uh, you know, take your choice of uh, prescribed methods of bumping people off yeah. in Russia. You surely that would happen, wouldn't um, it? Well, the American president is prohibited by law from assassinating foreign leaders. Yeah, sure. Okay. Certainly not throw, directly. Throw the, throw the rule book at me. I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm t- talking about what's <laughs> happened in the past. Yeah. So and I, th- I think the difficulties, I think one of the things that we, we, we learned from the Iraq war is, if we learned anything, is that if you get rid of the leader, it doesn't mean you solve all the problems. <laughs> So, yeah. in that sense, I mean, uh, Biden has actually said quite explicitly that, you know, the, he wants Putin no longer to be the leader of Russia. But um, then it was clarified to say they're not they're not planning for, for regime change. Regime change is, is difficult because a, a regime is not just a leader. A regime is an entire political system. And what might come after Putin might not necessarily be better. <laughs> it could, in fact, be worse. And That's so, a strong... Strong possibility. Well, Christoph, as we sort of draw this discussion to an end and get a sense of where we're going, do you, you, you said already you think perhaps the, the Russia element is what's going to break. This is where we, we see the end of this stalemate and that it may be coming perhaps in, in the new year. Uh, in the end, Putin's thing has to be that he, if he can wait it out, if he can wait long enough, if he can avoid falling, then essentially the West will get bored or will will not want to spend as much money or will get weary i mean that clearly is the policy does he have any reason for thinking that is what will well happen? first of all i think putin there's a lot of evidence putin doesn't really know what he's doing in many respects i mean he is he has been initially very hesitant about this whole conflict and he made this decision made the other decision he made enormous miscalculations obviously because he thought this war would be over in three days and so he's just uh, dealing with the situation that he has created, the, the trap in the sense that he's put himself into. Now, clearly, there are some indicators that say that it's possible that um, uh, the, the support from the West might might become weaker over time, depending on 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 on, on political developments. I think from the UK and from France, for example, I think the and and from other European countries, the the support will be quite strong. But uh, in the United States, there's obviously this enormous division between uh, the GOP and the Democrats, where the GOP is strangely used. Previously, the great anti-communist party now seems to uh, want to focus on China as a threat, and and, and not so much on you, not not so much on Ukraine. And there is some basis maybe for Putin to think if he if if he waits longer, he eventually this will resolve itself for him. But 
time is not necessarily on his side because I mean it, the situation in Russia is becoming more difficult all the time as well. I mean, as I was saying before, economic sanctions are sort of a longer term kind of um, effect on on the economy. And uh, as he's using up the reserves that he's got so far, it's going to become more and more difficult. Christoph, thanks so much for that. It's uh, as you say, it's going to be a long game to see what happens and and next year will be absolutely crucial for political support as much as anything else let's hope it's not another hundred year war Uh, (laughs) good talk uh, Christoph thanks Okay, thank you. I don't know. I do just it seems like a an, an, an furrowing your brow. There's a furrowed un, brow in here. It's just an unresolvable you problem, isn't it? It's well, just, I don't think it is. Unre- I think it will be resolved, but mm. I think it will. We we just don't know how years. and how long it will take. But yeah. I think there's a great appetite for it resolving quickly, in the mm. sense that I just think all the money and all the lives and everything else. But yeah. as he said, you could lose Putin, and then you don't know what you're going to get. Tell you what else is chewing up money? On, Twitter. Yes. Uh, so X, Elon X. Musk X now. I mean, what a stupid name x yes. i mean if you search for it I mean, you can tweet people if you, you can't google x people, people i know exactly something different. i mean he he i mean the guy is an idiot he had a Ooh. well he he had a verb didn't he basically mm. and he's thrown it away mm. uh, and and then if you search for x on google yes you well, get anything porn. you get porn, porn basically yes. yeah exactly we, we don't of course because we don't go anywhere now, well right? we obviously got all that turned off for mm. our search engines but look here he is saying he wants now mm. uh, he's thinking everyone's going to have to pay for twitter not just mm. those people who are going to pay their eight dollars or whatever yeah, yeah. extravagant sum it is everyone is going to and the reason that he's giving for that is and he might have a point on this i mean it, it is that you need to be able to identify who you are uh, and so because otherwise it's all, you bots. Could, it's all bots or it could trolls. be pe- or people who are yeah trolls whether they are computer trolls or actual people mm-hmm. who are just there spreading their anonymity lies. has always been the big issue and was, was also the case on you know with, with uh, emails and you know made up I mean, addresses but it can also be a good thing sometimes if it enables it can you if you're trying to campaign against a, a, a bad regime and you don't want to get identified. Yeah, that's right. And, and and or you know, or you're just taking a stand on anything at all. Actually, where you're worried that if you get identified, you might have people put, sticking firebombs through oh, your yeah, through yeah. your letterbox. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, there there is a reason for you to be able to be anonymous but therefore but there's a difference isn't there between you being anonymous but actually being recognised as being a real human being it's just uh, you know so you can get on the net and do stuff uh, but you don't have to expose who you are there is the rub you see so anyway so I mean I think that is, might be Elon, that so, Elon, so yes. Elon Musk's point might be yes. if you pay me some money yes. you know fortunately I'll know you're a real person because I've got your bank account yes. details I don't have to tell everybody else who you are well, so long as I know who you are that's all good yes but so, also then if, if, if the authorities come after and say why is all this stuff this nonsense about, about anti-vax or whatever getting out there you can actually say well it's this person yeah and in theory at least taking away anonymity will end sort of the horribleness of the net right what not is? that you know, I don't support anti-vax but I, you know, but I don't think anyone should be going after anybody because they are anti-vax. So you know, but then you know, yeah. again, that might be a case of you take well, that stance. You don't want to have people firebombing. Therefore, you. a subject for discussion. Yeah. I think is the answer, and a that's lot. a discussion we'll be having next week on the Y Curve. So we'll see you then. Thanks for listening. Bye. The Y Curve.